I'm taking a different, a little bit of a different approach tonight. I think, uh, at least in my apologetic evangelism efforts, I don't know, and I'm a pastor, so I don't know how many times in my life, I mean, last year or so, I had one guy took out five or six times, and we had two-hour conversations, and they were heavy theology. I mean, but I have to say, that was pretty abnormal for my experience. Um, he was intellectual and, and really wanted to ask all these questions. He, he'd never professed Christ, but we, we'd certainly spent hours together. Um, but not, that's not typical for my interaction with lost people who have questions. It's usually been very different in the sense that they may ask questions, but they're not long debates or anything like that. I know that's what you, we think of when we think of apologetics, arguments, and debating people, but that isn't really have, has not been my uh, experience. Plus, in the day in which we live, and I'm not getting too philosophical here, but the difference between modern and postmodern is modern people used to be, and that's my age or older, used to say, hey, show me the truth and what the Bible says about it, convince me of that, and then I'll, you know, I'll change my life. And, and, and a lot of people today are the other way around. In the postmodern world in which we live, they're not so interested in truth because to them it's not absolute and it's relative. Um, they're more interested in, has the truth changed you? And they might say, hey, if the truth, truth has changed you, then I'll let it maybe change me and I'll let you tell me about it. Um, so today... It's not long arguments most people have is they want to know, oh, what has that done for you? How does that change you? And in a little bit tonight when we get there, we're going to look at a passage that you're incredibly familiar with, uh, most likely, in Acts 4, 12. And you may know it by heart, depending on what version you grew up with, of course. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. But I think you're going to be a little surprised if you've never delved into the context of that, where that verse fits and the story that's taking place and all that's going on there about how helpful in a postmodern world that passage can really be. Um, so we're going to look at it. But before we go any further, you may have seen this on bumper. This is bumper sticker theology. Have you ever seen this? Right? You've seen this before. Um, I didn't take the time. Do you, does anybody want to try to tell me what each symbol represents? Anybody know the, the first one? Muslims. Yeah, that's the crescent for Muslims, right? And what's the middle one? Peace for hippies. Yeah, peace for hippies. I think so. The third one is? Male and female. Yeah, male and female gender equality. Fourth one, you better know. That's Jewish. What's the next one? Yeah, me neither. I, I don't know what that one is either. Anybody got that one? No, the next one's yin yang, yeah. That's, but the one before it, the little, I don't know what it even looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. A magnifying glass? I don't know what that is. And then, of course, Christianity in. But the idea is coexist is the, the word it supposedly spells that we should all get together. Now, I, I use that symbol because you're probably familiar with it to some degree. And um, we're going to... You're probably wondering why I didn't sing the song, Steve, but that's going to be at the end. I've, I've changed my mind. Um, so tonight I wanted to have you turn to Acts 4. And the Bible would not, if coexist means we all get together and tolerate everybody and no one really has the truth, um, 
we wouldn't agree with that at all. As you're turning there, let me tell you a story. When back in the day, in the 19, 19, I'm trying to figure, 86 to 91, that's when I went to seminary, a long time ago. Um, when I went to seminary, they trained us in apologetics to be able to talk to unbelievers and religious liberals about convincing them that Jesus is the only way. That's where I first really got a bit in Bible college as well. But the target audience of how you had to be able to argue this stuff at the time was lost people, atheists, and very liberal theologians who were also lost. Let me tell you a statistic about how things have changed since 1991, which would be 30 years ago. I'm going to let you guess. What do you think, and I don't know if you're familiar with the word evangelical. Evangelical means no matter what denomination you, you know, associate with, that you believe the cardinal doctrines of the Bible, salvation, blah, 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 like we do. So what percentage of evangelicals in America, listen, are not convinced, means they're not sure they believe this, that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Of people who, not, not you know, not mainline Christian, like Catholic, not them, but people who would be in churches who have very similar beliefs that we do, okay? What percentage of evangelicals are not convinced that Jesus is the only way to heaven? What percent would you say is true? What's that? 45 to 65%. So if you would take that low average of it, so let's say one out of every two evangelical Christians in America would not be convinced that Jesus is the only way. So, you know, you, you coming here tonight, and you, I don't think in my mind, I'm not having to convince the people at Faith Baptist Church that this is a reality, this is true about Jesus being the only way, but that wouldn't be true a lot of places. And you go, and you'd be surprised about how many people don't or not convinced of this view. And, and let me tell you this, it's not just people in the pew let me tell you some people that are big, prominent Protestant names, and I'm going to quote them um, and tell you. You watch them on TV. I'll be, I wouldn't suggest it, but if you do, if you watch John Hagee, here's what he said. Jews don't need to believe in Jesus because they have another path to heaven. Billy Graham, on an interview with Dr. Schuler who, if you ever, the hour of power, this is back in the day, right? Very liberal, Dr. Schuler, And he was asked, Billy Graham, if you do, do people who don't know Jesus go to heaven? And I quote, Billy Graham said, everyone who lives, um, loves or knows Christ, whether they realize it or not, whether they are conscious of it or not, are members of the body of Christ and will be in heaven with us someday. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they do know that they need something that they don't have. And so they turn to the only light they have. And he elaborated, if you're Muhammad, you turn to that. If you're Confucius, you turn. If they turn to the only light they have, and they will be saved. And that's Billy Graham. Tony Evans, a number of years ago, wrote a book called Totally Saved. And in it, he said this, God saves people around the world without the Bible and without the gospel. 
And he coined a term to describe that is called transdispensationalism, which means he says that if you're living in this day where you have all the revelation about Jesus, God thinks of you in a different category as if you didn't. So he puts you in his mind in a different dispensation before Jesus came, before the New Testament was written, so that he doesn't have to judge you based on what you know. And that's Tony Evans. Now, those three may surprise you, perhaps. You won't be surprised that the Pope said, <laughs> John Paul II said, early 2000, 2004, I think, maybe, or right around 2000, all who live a just life will be saved even if they don't believe in Jesus or the Roman Catholic Church, which is unbelievable in this sense is that because that contradicts all councils of doctrine and every pope that ever came before him. But yet, John Paul II was incredibly popular. But for him, as long as you are a just person, and that would be do the best you can, then you're going to go to heaven and be saved. So, can I tell you this right off the bat? Far from a given that people that you watch on TV, read their books, um, people that proclaim Jesus as Lord would believe that he's the only way. In fact, half the Christians that you might meet in the United States wouldn't be, cons wouldn't be convinced of it. Um, there are a lot of arguments, and I'm just going to list them for you if you want to write them down. I I'm not going to go through all of them because I don't think I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that that's the greatest approach, although I think you should be familiar with a lot of these arguments. Um, today there is the sincerity argument that people would say that it really doesn't matter what you believe or what church or temple or, you know, how you worship, as long as you are sincere about it. Um, now, we've had the hot seat where I would, you know, put Pastor Dave on the hot seat. Tonight is the People in the pew hot seat. Ready? Okay. I'm going to ask the fleet of foot, Mr. Carver, to come up here. Yeah, that'd be you. He's not Mr. Carver when you're sitting there. <laughs> um, and he's going to tell Now, I want you to, again, could be more than one answer for sure to all of these. What would you say to someone who said, hey, you know what, I don't think it really matters what you believe as long as you're sincere about your beliefs. What would you say to them if you were going to tell them why that isn't true? James, wait to the microphone, if you would. I would say to them, you can be uh, sincerely wrong because truth does matter. And uh, truth is, is not something that you know, because I believe it is true. Uh, there's an objective truth that we find in the Bible, and if we believe anything other than the truth that is in there, then you can be as sincere as you want to be, you would be wrong. Yes, okay? So you can be sincerely wrong. So it's not objective, it's objective truth, not subjective truth that works. Are you going to find someone else? Yep. Okay. Ray? I've always believed you have to get someone lost before you can get them saved. And when you present the sin issue and the sin problem, the sin that's unpaid for, sincerity doesn't pay for your sins. Only the person who Jesus Christ paid for them on the cross. Okay, good. So sincerity doesn't deal with the problem of why you need to be saved to begin with. 
Next one, we don't have time again, all this stuff, but um, the other one, all, all religions lead, you know, the Rome, all roads lead to Rome. All religions lead to heaven. They just go different ways. What would you say to that, Sandy? Sandy, you look mad about that. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Okay, so definite article on those, the way, not a way, but the way. So all, all roads don't, what is the supposition behind that? What is the belief behind the fact that all roads lead to the same place? What's wrong with that? Other than obviously it contradicts John 14, 6. Dawn? It gives the incorrect assumption that what you do can get you to heaven and only Jesus' sacrifice can do that. Okay, good, because all those other roads probably are works-based, right? Excellent. Yep. What would you say Christianity believes that only Jesus is the only way to heaven and that is narrow-minded and bigoted? What would you say to that? Mike? It is narrow-minded. It's the way that God said it is, though. And then if you believe God, then you're going to believe what he says. And if you don't believe it, that's, that's the real issue here is, are you God and you make up your rules, or is he God and he makes up the rules? Okay. It's his mind, not ours. So, yeah, we're not going to argue too hard at the fact that, you know, Jesus said narrow is the way, correct? That leads to life. So in one sense, it's narrow-minded, but how would you argue that logically? Let me ask you, if somebody came on the news tonight and said that there is one of the... Uh, places that came out with a cure for COVID, not, not a vaccine, but a cure. And they said, hey, we're the only way, if you take one shot of this, you'll never have, to, no matter what strain, no matter what COVID, you'll never have to worry about it again. And, and there is no other one. Would we consider them narrow-minded? No, we wouldn't, right? Because if you have the cure to the solution and it's the only one, it's not narrow-minded, it's incredibly what? Wise and compassionate, right? So again, narrow, there's nothing wrong with it, uh, and certainly can be a lot right with it, all right? Um, Here we go, next one. Um, If God loves everyone, why doesn't he save everyone? If God loves everyone, why doesn't he save everyone? You're going to have to go home on that one, huh? John. I think there's an equal balance between love and holy. Holy is, is complete separation from sin, and unless you deal with sin, then you get the issue. That's really, it's not about love. It's about holiness. Yes. And then he shows his grace and mercy on us to give us away so he can show his love. But holiness is a bigger issue. Yes. Yes, you've got to have love and holiness have to be put together right across the way. Uh, Sarah, Joy. Um, Jesus is willing to save everyone, but not everybody wants to be saved. So you have to want to be saved. Right. So it, the fact that not everyone's saved doesn't mean he doesn't love them. Right. Uh, Sean McDowell is an apologist. 
And his dad, Josh McDowell, wrote a famous big book a long time ago, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And so the apologetics ministry kind of runs in the family. And thanks, Kevin. You're done. Um, so listen to him, and he has a little bit, a few, couple, three minutes or so here on this very question we're talking about. Is Jesus really the only way to get to God? Doesn't that sound a little bit arrogant? What about all the people who haven't heard the name Jesus? And how can you say Jesus is the only way? I'm not. Jesus said it. Take it up with him. Jesus said it. Take it up with him. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father but by me. In Acts 4, 29, it says, There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. If someone's going to speak on physics, listen to Einstein on Football, listen to Aaron Rodgers. It's not just Jesus. Muhammad made it clear that it's only by believing in Allah that there's salvation and everybody else is wrong. Jews have a certain belief that salvation is through them. Now Hindus will say, oh, everybody's right, whatever path works, but really all those other paths only work if they're brought in to the Hindu system. By definition, every single truth claim excludes everything else. What's amazing about Christianity, it's actually inclusive. Jesus made a genuine offer of salvation to everybody. You see, every religion says there's a problem in the world. But what Jesus said the problem is, is it's the human heart. That we have done wrong things, the Bible calls sin, and that separates us from God. So no other religious figure paid for sin, it's only Jesus who paid for sin. If your car is broken and you need new spark plugs, it doesn't matter if you change the alternator or get more gas. You need to fix the actual problem. Well, the problem in the world is sin, and Jesus uniquely paid for sin. That's why it's only by believing in him and accepting the offer of grace that Jesus offers that we can have salvation. By saying that Jesus is right, does that mean I'm saying that everybody's wrong? Well, realize that every religious system, by definition, says they're right and everybody else is wrong. So it's not just Jesus. I'm also not saying that every religion is wrong in everything that they believe. When it comes to the identity of Jesus, Jesus said, here's the most important question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus said that anybody who says that he is not the Son of God is mistaken on a critical point that is tied to our salvation. Any religion, big or small, who does not accept that view of Jesus, Jesus says they are separated from him for eternity. Yeah, I realize that claim is politically incorrect, and to some, it's even offensive. But Jesus, the Son of God who was sinless, who died on the cross, rose on the third day, said that he's the only way to get to God. And that's a claim each one of us need to take seriously. In the day in which Acts was written, the chapter I had you turn to, um, Romans, uh, by and large, as a culture, um, did not like uh, Christianity. And you'll see that later on as they end up persecuting him, uh, imprisoning Paul, and eventually beheading him. Um, but believe it or not, Romans did not get upset with Christianity because they claimed that Jesus was a God or that they needed sins forgiving, forgiven or that he rose from the dead. They didn't, that wasn't their issue. The issue was is they were pluralistic 
and Christianity was monotheistic, and that means that they had a lot of gods, um, and Christianity had one god, and they weren't even so upset about that because they just wanted Christianity to add their god to all of theirs, and they kind of like Hinduism that we just said, like that, and so they wouldn't have been so upset by it. But when Christianity said, no, Jesus is God, and he's the only one, and all the other gods are not true and wrong, that's where Roman uh, religions became very upset. And that's why it became eventually that you had to offer a little powder or incense on an altar in the town square to acknowledge that Caesar was God or whoever was in control at that point. And that's where Christianity would draw the line. I mean, this issue that we're talking about tonight, and I could tell you, and it's well worth your, story, your reading, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, and what's the lady, Chris, that you, we read? You read the book about her, and she was in the prison and wrote things on the wall and back in the first century or second. Perpetua, it's worth your read. Um, a number of Christian martyrs, people gave their lives to defend this sentence, that Jesus is the only way. So, um, by the way, maybe uh, not too far off or down the road that we will have to uh, count the costs also to believe such a truth. But, obviously, it's very crucial. So, Jesus is the only way, not only in the first century, but also Jesus in the 21st century, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. If you're in Acts 4, I want you to do a couple things. We're going to read the first... uh, a few verses, actually a number of them. And I want you to see some things. And I want you to see particularly verse 12 in a very different way than you've seen it before. And I'm, my goal tonight is to show you that uh, the question of Jesus being the only way is exclusive and it's also inclusive. And I think, in my mind anyways, if you know that much and that's all you know, and you know just this verse... When you're asked this question, I think it'll be easy for you to respond instead of memorizing all the answers and all the different verses, which would be great and if you have time. But if you could just at least get this one under your belt, I think that you'll be able to be able to discuss this question very well. So let me begin in Acts 4.1. And the context is, and you got to know it, is in chapter 3, James and John are walking to the temple at the hour of prayer. There's been a man who's been crippled and lame sitting outside the beautiful gate for 40 years. And uh, Everybody knows him, uh, they've seen him there, and he is a fixture. Everybody knows who he is. And Peter and James uh, go by, they don't have silver and gold, the famous line, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and he does, and they're healed. Well, it gets back to the religious leaders, and they come down, and they talk to them. They eventually uh, put him in prison overnight, and then they call him out the next day to have a conversation about it, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees, the relu- ruling class, Pharisees were not ruling, they weren't high priests, it was the Sadducees. And, and to know that is to know this, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so listen to that, or know that when you listen to the next verse. They were greatly annoyed because they, meaning the apostles, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, even the Pharisees who believed in the, in the, in the resurrection believed that the resurrection was an event at the end of time. Nobody would have seen or foreseen that there would be a resurrection 
in the middle of time. Therefore, the words of Jesus to uh, Mary, when she, or I should say Martha, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus is very clear to know this, that it's not just an event in the future somewhere. It's a person. He is it. And so when he says he's preaching in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, they're preaching this, that in order to you to be raised in the last day, you have to know him. He's the first resurrected person, and all other ones will follow if you know him. That's what they are preaching. And it's a very, very annoying doctrine, to especially someone who doesn't even believe that resurrection is going to happen. So they go on to say, and they arrested them, put them in custody into the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, $5,000, $5,000, people believe on that day the narrow-minded view that Jesus is the only way to be resurrected. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, who's a Sadducee, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, all family members who were all of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, but now, key, watch this. You do a little underlining here. By what power or by what name do you do this? And I want you to underline in particular, if you've never noticed, the word, the name. Okay? Because we're going to highlight a bunch of them. That's chapter, go back real quick and we'll start a little earlier. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Chapter 3 and verse 6. That's how the healing began. And It says, we are witnesses in verse 16 of chapter 3, and in his name, by faith in his name. It's Jesus' name. That's why this guy stands before you healed and and strong. We read chapter 4 and verse 7. Also look at chapter 4 and verse 10. Let it be known to all of you, Peter says, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only two times in the book of Acts Jesus Christ of Nazareth is used is this one. They're his human name, and so they want them to know that the man that they saw was not just man, he was God. He was Christ, the King. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. That they want to know that was because of the name of Jesus. Chapter 4 and verse 12, which we are going to look at. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18. But in order that it might spread no further among the people, let us warn them, not them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so you can see for yourself uh, over and over and over again that they're talking about the name. Now, when we pray, we pray, and how do you often end it? Hopefully not, not ritualistically, uh, you know, but we say at the end of prayers, in Jesus Name, amen. What does that mean? Is that a magic formula that if you end with those words that you're more likely to have it answered? No. What does it mean? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, his name is, yes, certainly there's power. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Does anyone know by heart verses 9 through 11? Therefore... God hath highly exalted him and given him the oh, the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things 
on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that, yes. So what is his name? It's the name above every name. So what is included in his name? It's who he is. It's his deity. It's who he is as God. It's the position of his exaltation. And, and here's what the apostles are saying. It's in the name of Jesus that he, he's the only one as God who has the ability to save anyone. Now, Jewish people, being monotheistic in the Old Testament, they would have believed that God was the only one to be able to save anybody. But now he's equating him with God the Father as the only one who can save. So in our text, it makes more sense. Now, now he stretches that all over, three chapters, three and four, all, name, 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 all over, because they want him to know what they think of Jesus. And so let's go back to our verse itself. And it says, And there is salvation in no one else. Technical phrase, but just hear this and write it down. There are two words in the Greek language that talk about comparing things that are the same. Okay? And it's the word other. And there's a Greek word called alas, and that means other of a same kind. So if you were, you know, you were amongst Eagles fans. They would be the kind of people, they were all the same kind, okay? But if you wanted to differentiate and say something of a different kind, you would use the word heteros. Heterosexual means that they're people to get, you know, a different man and a woman. Homosexual means same. Hetero means different, of a different kind. So if you were alas, you'd be of a same kind, and heteros would be of a different kind. Now, I go through all that to say this. Both of those words are used in these two phrases that we love. And here's what it says. I'm going to use them for you. Ready? 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no other one, literally, meaning of the same kind. So in other words, there is no other one that's the same as Jesus. God saves, and, and he's the only one that can save. And there are amazing amount of Old Testament passages that say that. So here's what he said. There is no one else that can save, and Jesus is that one. In other words, he's equal with God. So there is no one else. There is salvation in no one else. So remember, uh, here's the thing. I, I think I have a slide on that. Exclusivity. Exclu mean, mean there is no other one. So here's the thing. Is Jesus the only way? Yes. He is the only way. Christianity is exclusive, meaning there isn't multiple saviors. There isn't another way to do it. You can't be saved. Now, interestingly enough, here's how they would hear it. The word salvation in the Old and New Testament is often the same both for physical deliverance and spiritual deliverance. Remember the guy that's there? He was saved physically from being crippled. And, and, and what he, he was used for in fact, they even call it, hey, we can't, they were talking amongst themselves when the, they put the apostles out of the room for a second. They said, hey, we can't deny this because a notable sign has taken place. And the word sign means something that God has done. So God has done this. So only God could get a crippled guy who's been sitting on the ground for 40 years to get up and walk. They couldn't deny it. And Peter's saying this, you know what? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that name that got the physical guy saved is the only guy who can also do it spiritually. So there is no salvation, whether you're getting 
from crippled physically or you're crippled spiritually, whatever what you want, he wants you to know this guy is proof. No one could do this. And if that's true, let me argue from the lesser to the greater and no one could forgive your sins either other than this one. There is no salvation and no other one of this same kind. There aren't any other kinds like this. And then he says, second part of it, and that would be Christianity exclusive, no other savior, but also Christianity is inclusive. And this is what I like to argue with people who get stuck on the first half, okay? And, and, and that's the problem. They only think, they want to argue, oh, it's awful, it's bigoted, it's terrible. Christianity is exclusive, only one savior. Everybody else is wrong, blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you how great exclusivity is. And this is why I think you could argue this verse so well. Verse 12 says, second one, for there is no other heteros. There is no other name, watch, under heaven. If we, we wouldn't say it that way. If you want to be 21st century, we would say this, in the whole world, which is everything under heaven, right? So we would say this, there is no other name in the whole world. Now listen to what it means. It is exclusive still in some ways. It means this, that you can't get saved through the power or ability of Muhammad or Allah. Not Confucius, not Buddha, not the Catholic Church, not any other denomination, not any other person. There is no other name. Name them. David Koresh, he doesn't have the power to, none of those people have the ability. So under heaven, so in the whole world, there isn't anyone else. So to talk to John Hagee or Billy Graham or any of those people the Pope or po- talk to, it's impossible that there is no other name. There is no other person. There is no other way. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can know God is through Jesus Christ. So it is exclusive, but it's inclusive because whole world does, it eliminates all the other people who would claim they could save you. But guess what? It also means that everyone in the whole world could get saved right? Everyone in the world. So you got to become a Hindu to go to nirvana. You got to have, you got to become Muslim and take the five, whatever the pillars, and you got to do all this and you got to work this to be, and take the sacraments of the, see, in, in Christianity, one savior, but he can save everyone and not because of what you do, but because of who he is and what he's done. It's inclusive, under heaven, everyone under heaven must be saved this way. So it is exclusive. There's only one Savior, but inclusive in the sense that anyone under heaven who puts their faith and trust in what he did for them on the cross and when he rose from the dead can be saved. Now let me tell you one last thing and we'll be done. Um, what we're missing today in our day and we didn't need it as much as we used to, but we really do today, is that I found when I read this text that when Peter gives this verse, chapter 4 and verse 12, which I never noticed before, after it's over, look what it says about the disciples, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were uneducated, and that means it's the Greek word, no letters, in other words, they didn't have a form. They'd never been to Bible college or seminary. They didn't have any formal training. They could tell that. And from, they were from Galilee, which gave, made it pretty obvious. They were common men. They were astonished. And what did they recognize about them? 
They, were, they had been with Jesus. And they knew the scriptures very well despite that fact, and they spoke very boldly and straight up about it, which was Jesus. But watch. That's what they saw the disciples. But that's not all they saw. Ready? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. See what, they did, what happened there? You know what apologetics is? It's you standing for Jesus and saying the truth about him, and it's having also people stand by you whose lives have been changed by that truth. It's both. You know what our world's waiting for? Not for you just to give them all the right answers, but to show people's lives, including your own, that have been changed by it radically. I mean, imagine, how can you argue against a guy that everyone says, how in the world could he be sitting there 40 years, and now he's standing here? And when you put, he says, Jesus is the only way, and you can say that, and people go, oh yeah, maybe you think that, maybe for you it is, but how, how can you deny it when the guy is standing here right next to Peter being crippled for 40? You can't deny it. You can't deny it. But you know what we need? You know why we're doing Friend Day? Because Friend Day gives us an opportunity to give the gospel to people. You know why? So that they can stand next to us and say, hey, you know what? Jesus is the only way. And it says so because the Bible says it. And let me show you. Look at their lives. And look how much they are changed. Look how radical the fact of the exclusivity of the gospel. Jesus is the only way. Look how powerful it is. See, it's not some narrow-minded, bigoted thing. It is so God-honoring and God-glorifying and is awesome for people because God wants to change your life radically. And let me tell you this, we need both. We need a verbal presentation of Jesus the only way and we need a visible presentation of it. We need to have people standing by our side and say, hey, let me tell you about this truth and now I want so-and-so to tell you how this truth that Jesus is the only Savior has totally revolutionized their lives. Postmodernism requires it, believe it or not. They want to see whether this absolute truth that you proclaim about Jesus, let's argue that, but let me argue this. See it in your life. So it's very difficult, isn't it, to be an apologist for Jesus and then say some of the things that people say and the language they use and the comments they make on social media. We can't win people that way. We can't win people by not knowing what's important in life and arguing about everything as if it's a major issue. We can't do that. So we have to have, say, listen, it's the people standing by us whose lives have been changed, right? We have to say, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus is. This is who he is and what he did, and he's the only way. And let me show you, and then when you believe that, this is what can happen in your life. We need both. We need both as apologetics and evangelism, we would say today. I want to close the service because we talked about the name of Jesus so much. Um, let's just sing on the screen. You know the song, Blessed Be the Name. And, and I, I want to just sing that, sing that tonight. And, and while you're singing it, just praise Jesus that his name and all that it means has totally changed your life. And say, Father, help me bring your name and all that goes with it to others as well. So let's sing that and then we'll close in prayer. Streams of abundance flow.
want to say and conclude tonight, blessed be your name. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. The name which is above every name, the name that one day every knee will bow. Father, we have an opportunity right now, even right now with Friend Day upon us, that to we can tell people and publish the good tidings in the name of Jesus. Father, there are many people who have never heard his name, but more than likely, most people in our midst this weekend will have heard the name, but they don't know him. They don't know that he's the only Savior. I pray, God, that we would invite them, talk to them, build relationships with them, that they might know that they also have life in his name. And we'll bless your name now for all that you're pleased to do and accomplish for your great glory. For it's through Christ and in his name we ask it. Amen.